Hello and welcome to the Start Me Up podcast. I'm Kimberly Johnson in DC and today I have a fascinating guest. Her name is Logan Levkoff. She's an author and she's a sex relationship, sexual health, parenting and sex educator. I am all about educating teens uh, about sex, about sex positivity and sexual health, so much so that I wrote two books on the subject. The first book, I collaborated with my mother, Ann Werner, and we did The Virgin Diaries, which is a collection of stories from 72 men and women, gay and straight, on what it feels like to have sex for the very first time. And we got some really interesting stories, and, and the reason I wrote it is because when you're young and you're a virgin, you don't know what it's like and you're so curious and you're not always going to get a straight story from whether it's your friends or your parents or whoever. So this way, it's uh, it's just a collection of people being honest about what it felt like, both emotionally and physically. Um, my other book, Peyton's Choice, is a fiction um, book, but it's about a teenage girl who falls in love for the first time, has sex for the first time, enters into a sexual relationship, and then becomes pregnant when she doesn't want to be. So it's all about, I mean, the first part of the book is just the like a young adult romance where she meets this guy, and every once in a while, even though he's a good guy, he says some shitty things to her, and that's addressed. But then about uh, two-thirds of the way in, she becomes pregnant, and she has to figure out what she's going to do about this. And does she regret having an abortion? Well, you'll have to read the book and find out. Um, Both of those books are available on Amazon, uh, so there's that. And then today, Logan and I are going to be talking about a variety of subjects. One of the things I know we're going to be focusing on is Mario Lopez, because he recently just said that it's dangerous for parents to support trans children. So we're going to really dig into that. I know that she's got a lot of trolls chasing her around on her page. We're going to talk about that and a bunch of other things. But before we do, guess what? Start Me Up is a listener-supported independent podcast. And we rely on listeners just like you to keep us going. So take a listen to this show, maybe hear some previous shows, and be and consider becoming a monthly subscriber for any amount. We've done all kinds of shows. I mean, Alyssa Milano has been on, Charlotte Clymer, former federal prosecutors Glenn Kirshner and Renato Mariotti, Molly Jung Fast has been on, Kristen Johnston's been Kristen Johnston of Third Rock from the Sun and the show CBS Mom. She's coming back. And Vincent D'Onofrio gave an amazing interview. And I'm, I, I mentioned this before, but I'm going to be interviewing at some point Holland Taylor. And you know her as the mom on Two and a Half Men. She's also, she was also on Bosom Buddies. And she's also right now starring on Broadway in the show Anne, which she also wrote. And it's so good. And you can watch it on your television. You just go to, there's a, an app, which is Broadway HD. And you can just make a one-time purchase and you can watch the show. It's just amazing. It's a one-woman show. It's it's brilliant. And Holland Taylor is just absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to uh, get her booked. She's busy, so we're working on it. Um, but you can support the show by visiting patreon.com slash startmeup. And then, like I said, you can any dollar amount, $1, $2, $3, $5, $10, anything. Support an independent podcast. We would really appreciate it. Okay, so I guess that's it for the business and the intro. Please enjoy my conversation with Logan Levkoff. Welcome, Logan. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Um, I, as I said in the intro that, you know, what you do and everything. And um, before we get into it, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. Why don't you explain to people exactly what you do? Because I don't know that I did it justice. 
Yes. So I am a sexologist, but within that umbrella of studying sexuality, I am a sexuality educator. So I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist or a clinician. I am someone who is deep in the trenches working with all different groups, but primarily kids and teens and their parents breaking down and deconstructing all information about sex and sexuality from the most basic, simple things like reproduction. Well, reproduction isn't simple anymore, but (laughs) reproduction (laughs) and puberty to everything about evaluating healthy relationships and consent and double standards and pornography. So I am very much in the trenches. Wow. That's so awesome. It's like I said, you know, uh, I wrote a book, The Virgin Diaries, with my mom about first-time sex, and I wrote a book about um, abortion and teen sex, and I, it's so important to me because I remember when I was young, and I want to first I want to get into Mario Lopez with you, but before we do that, <laughs> sure. I just kind of want to preface one of the things I want to talk about is the advice that my mom gave me uh, when I was 13, and I was absolutely horrified. And the deal was that she just basically left sex up to me. She didn't tell me not to have it. She just said, okay, if you're going to have it, you have to be responsible. And so I, you know, I, I look back on my own experience and I'm so grateful that she didn't turn, um, you know, like my sexual teen years or whatever into a rebellion. It was more about like, oh, I have to be the one to make this decision now. So um, I have to make a good choice for myself. So I definitely want to talk to you about um, like what's the worst thing parents can say to teens about sex and what's the best thing they can say. But before we go there, the big... May I just interject for one second? The funny thing is that that's actually exactly how I understood sexuality from my parents and particularly from my father. My father was the one who always told my sister and I how important sex and sexuality Hmm. were, that he was going to be okay with whatever decision we made growing up as long as it was something we wanted and it wasn't at the behest of someone else and we were Hmm. protected, Um, but he wanted it to be our decision. So... That is awesome. I guess that got me to where I am today. <laughs> what an awesome dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh very my much God. So. Um, all right. Well, let's just get into this whole Mario Lopez thing. Oh my God. So basically, Mario Lopez was talking with conservative, if you want to call her that, Candace Owens, and they were saying <laughs> um, that, you know, basically kids shouldn't be the ones deciding what their sexuality is and parents shouldn't support trans kids. So uh, before I even say a word about this, I want to know your take. <laughs> so I woke up I woke up this morning to Mario Lopez trending, which you know whoa. is already like whoa. And I clicked I, I mean I made the mistake of clicking on it and I and I read these lines from this interview where you know, he basically says and implies kids at three don't really understand who they are, that they don't understand sexuality. He conflates all these different ideas between gender and the fine sex and sexuality. Um, and, of course, uses, you know, the phrase like it's da- it's dangerous as yeah. a parent to make a determination. And that, of course, you know, I'm used to people conflating all these terms, but the it's dangerous sort of sent me over the edge, um, especially because we know LGBTQ youth are so vulnerable and yes. susceptible to so many bad health and mental health outcomes when they are not supported. Right. Yeah. So, um Obviously, I found this entire thing to be detestable, not not just because of the judgment, but also because it's not based on anything factual. It's like, 
you know, people say kids are making decisions at three and they're having irreversible surgery. I mean, no, (laughs) no, and no, and that is not the way it's ever been. And honestly, it's the same lie people tell people, other people, about third trimester abortions, this idea that they're arbitrary and everyone has them, right? It's the same thing. Um, Young people absolutely do have a sense of their own gender identity that that may or may not evolve or develop as they get older. But what we need to do is listen to our kids, mm-hmm. hear who they are, give them the tools to navigate who they are, and let them make that determination. Um, but we have to be aware of it. And yeah, this idea that Assigned sex at birth and gender identity are the same thing. I mean, they're not. Assigned sex isn't a binary. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an entire population of intersex people. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous. Um, but people are really dead set yeah. on not believing the science or making up their own <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm curious about this. I look at it like I don't have children, but if I if I did have a child who was let's say 10 or 13 or whatever and came to me and let's say I had a boy and the boy said I I'm a girl. Um I would be fully supportive and I would the only concern that I would have would be for the outside world and how my child would be treated if my right. child chose to dress in, you know, in, in, in different clothing and all of that. And then I would also be concerned just for the reason that I, I want my child to be happy. If they were born a way that they didn't feel was correct or right for them, um, I would be concerned with their happiness. Uh, the, now, the thing that I would be worried about, and I guess, I guess you're a good person to ask, is... Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable with my kid going through any kind of corrective surgery while they were developing hormonally because I would be afraid. I mean, obviously, I want to talk to a doctor. If my kid wanted that and I could afford it because I'm sure it's expensive going and then, you know, getting them on the hormones and all of that. I would just want to talk to a doctor and find out because honestly, I don't know is, you know, putting hormones into your body while you're going through growing through hormones. Is that a really good idea? So they're, they're all really great questions and concerns. And, and the one thing I, I just, I think it's always important to remember is that, you know, assigned sex is body, is anatomy, you know, chromosomes and DNA, the works, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's one part of, of like the big picture of how we see gender. Gender identity is that deep sense of understanding yeah. of who you are. Yes. Right now for right. many people that is... Uh, aligned with their assigned sex at birth, but for plenty of people, it isn't. Gender expression, right, how we express our gender really is about cultural norms for gender stereotypes, right? And all of these things are different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the first thing what we ask our kids when they start telling us that they, you know, feel different or identify different is asking them, tell me what that means, Mm -hmm. right? Is that about wearing certain colors? Is that about this feeling about your body? Is, you know, where is it coming from? Because that helps, right? That helps frame this conversation a little bit more. You know, the reason why young people go on blockers, um, prior to puberty or the onset of puberty is really because it's about giving young people options. Once puberty starts, there are certain characteristics that can't be undone. So for example, you know, with a production of testosterone, if someone's face starts to masculinize, Mm -hmm. right, you can't undo that. Right. So, you know, blockers are a, a safe option for postponing puberty until certain 
you know, bigger decisions can be made. Hmm. Um, but this idea that like kids are just having surgery, right. well, okay, that's bullshit. It's not happening. And also, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's so ridiculous um, because that also assumes that medical providers just like willingly say, right. oh, please let me like work on your genitals, which that's not <laughs> how it works. Yeah. Um, and also there are plenty of trans and non-binary people who, you know, don't ever have surgical like procedures at all, mm-hmm. right? And for, for a lot of reasons, I mean, some for choice and also because, I mean, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like this easy thing that people just do. So, you know, there's so much nuance to this conversation, but um, it is so, I mean, not that you're surprised how ugly it gets online, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, people take this so personally when it's about them. And the only thing I, when it's not about them, and the only thing I keep thinking of is, you know, because all these people claim it's always about God or some higher right. power, and that's fine, whatever you believe in. But if that's the case, I really hope that whatever, like, deity these people believe in never gives them, you know, a child who is remotely gender nonconforming yeah. because that child is really at risk. Wow. You know, I never even th- – I don't know that much about – especially when a, when a kid – is going through questioning. So I didn't even know there were blockers. And it's fascinating that you say this because um, I'm currently watching a show. I think it's on HBO and it's called Euphoria. Have you heard mm-hmm. of, have you heard of that show? Yes, I've heard, I've heard of it. Admittedly, I've been binging a few other things, so I'm not on that. I'm not on E yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely, it's, it's thought provoking and it's interesting. And I'm 51 years old. I'm a Gen Xer. So when I look at it, it's kind of. I'm a Gen Xer too. <laughs> Go Gen Xer. <laughs> um, but it's like funny to me because I'm at that age now where I like look at young people and I think, wow, they have it so hard, you know, but then I look back at some of like, even like, 1970s movies even the bad news bears um you know that movie those kids didn't have it easy they had they had a coach who like fell down drunk on the middle of the field and you know there there was a a movie with Jodie Foster and uh, I can't remember there was a bunch of other girls in it called Foxes oh yeah summer camp yes yes well there was Christy McNichol wait no that that was that was a different one that one is one of my all-time favorite movies and of course now I'm blanking on the name of there was Fox and then there was uh, Little Darlings. That's what it's called. Oh, right. And right. I love, <laughs> I love Little Darlings. But Foxes was a little Jody. There was Jody Foster, and there was, um, gosh, there were a couple. Cynthia Nixon. No, no, no. She's she's in Little Darlings. (laughs) Yeah, she's in Little Darlings. But Little Darlings was about first time sex, and it was similar in that they were um, not sugarcoating anything. And in the movie Foxes, they were not sugarcoating anything. So. I look back at that and I think, wow, you know what? Well, 70s kids had some pretty raw moments. So looking forward and looking at the now, in Euphoria, there is a trans character who still has a penis and I believe is on blockers and also has breasts. So this character must be taking something to either she had, I don't know how the breast thing worked. Maybe she had breast implants, but I don't know. But still, it's just the idea of these kids in this show are just less concerned about labels and you know girls can be with girls girls can be with guys guys can be with guys so it's just a little bit more free where people are not stuck to and I truly believe that if we didn't have these um I don't know what you would call them I guess the labels that we all feel that we have to 
take on, I think that gender would be more fluid and sexuality, because I think se- there's sexuality and there's gender. And so right. it's like sexuality is, I think it would be more open. And I'll just say that, you know, when I was in school, it would have been scandalous to find out that two girls kissed. I just know everybody would have freaked out. And then my sister, who's 18 years younger than I am, when she went through high school, it was no big deal for two kids of the same sex to kiss or, you know, have sex. So as we move forward, I think it's going to continue to change. But it's like you like you were saying, people take it so personally. And a lot of it is based on religion. And yes, you are born one way or the other. But I think that it's just so very complicated. I'm certainly not that you are the one to talk more on well, that, but well, I, I mean, get the that funny it's complicated. Thing is, it's, and it's not really like we're born one way or the other, right? That's what we're told. But, you know, people are intersex. So this idea that even assigned sex is a binary, you're one thing or the other, really doesn't even work. But that's not the stuff that we're taught. Um, although, I mean, that's certainly stuff that I teach. <laughs> but but most, most people don't. And I think there are challenges in every generation, right? I mean, I when I was growing up in the, you know, even in the early early 90s, the idea of being, of being non-heterosexual, like I remember my friends who were closeted. I remember carrying around a support vaginal pride pro-choice sticker on my loose sleeve and everyone in the school called me a lesbian and it became such a rumor that kids in other neighboring schools had heard it too. Now, oh I mean, God. whatever, as if yeah. that's what it, all it takes, but you know, I think that they're always there are always challenges, but but one of the things I would say, and and it's the it's the one thing that the 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 trolls and the haters and the transphobes you know never really understand is that I've had the the pleasure and the privilege of teaching lots of trans and gender nonconforming and non-binary kids, and. When and they've always been. I've, I've had them for six years in a row, from the time they were, you know, seven to the time they were, you know, thirteen, fourteen. Hmm. And when they talk to you about the transition they're making, and when you see their happiness and pride hmm. over the new changes that their body is taking on, and how their classmates are all in on it and mm-hmm. understand and are respectful of those changes as well as the parents in the community, it is such an extraordinary thing to see. Wow. So, you know, that's the stuff that, you know, Twitter doesn't allow you to explain. Mm-hmm. And honestly, those people aren't going to care on Twitter anyway. But, right. um, you know, for the rest of us, like those moments are magical because it, it really does give me hope for the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and we need that right now. We need a lot of hope. And yeah, I mean, again, I, I want to reiterate that um, I'm certainly no expert on the subject. I'm still one of those um, Gen Xers who's learning. I'm learning the language. I'm learning all of, of it. And um, I'm fully supportive. And uh, I've talked about this before um, just a little bit because it's it's kind of upsetting. But there were a couple of, um, they're called trans-exclusionary radical feminists, TERFs. And yeah. so I had some on my Facebook page. And I, you know, initially... They just came off as feminists and, um, you know, it was just like we would agree on whatever we were talking about. And then one day, this one woman who was on my page kind of went off and she was using all the right wing talking points about bathrooms and everything. And and so I told her that I don't accept that kind of um, dialogue on my page, that she's free to do that on her own page. And then she immediately says, I feel silenced. And it's like, well, <laughs> I, it's my house. My page yeah. is my house. And I'm not comfortable with that kind of talk so I I kicked her off my page and then there was another woman 
who pretty much did the same thing. She brought it up. I explained that I was aware of, um, you know, I didn't use the term turf, but I just, I said that I was aware <laughs> and that I, you know, it wasn't welcome on page. She said, I feel silenced. And so, okay. And I've, I've looked at their Facebook pages and I've looked at what they've posted because they're kind of fascinating to me. Um, and it's just very upsetting because what I'm hearing from them is they're seeing, their argument is that uh, a, a man who transitioned into a woman is basically taking rights away from women. And I don't really see how that's possible. Yeah. You know, for me, when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, oh, my God, you want to be you identify as one of us like and, and re- like really you know, live as one of us. Welcome to the club. Yeah, we, we need more people. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> I don't see how that's taking rights away from me. Yeah. I mean, basically what they're arguing is it's they're taking away safe spaces where it's women only, whether it's a uh, you know, um, it was interesting because one of these women had posted that. I think it was a trans person in a house where, you know, women had uh, left domestic abuse and it was like a safe house. And so this woman had made an argument that a trans woman murdered, I think, uh, like, you know, one of the women there. And I looked it up and there was no murder. It was I, I think this trans woman was just showing, I guess, what these women considered inappropriate pictures. Um, and so this story got you know, way out, I, uh, from what I could tell, and I, I, I did some research and I didn't spend my life researching it, but it just looked like it was blown out of proportion. And I mean, I think within any group of people, you know, any group, you're going to find good ones and bad ones. But the way, I, from my understanding is the trans community is incredibly vulnerable. They, yep. they suffer abuse. They suffer, whether it's physical abuse or, you know, mental abuse from people, they are in danger. Their lives are in danger. Yeah. So, for, you know, absolutely. You know, for me, not all women have vulvas, vaginas and uteruses. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's just the way it is. The same way I would say not not all men have penises. <laughs> and right. I mean, like these these ideas that certain body parts define who you are has never really resonated with me. And just to like sort of, you know, blow it out to something, you know, some sort of analogy it's like saying well if for some reason you know if if someone has breast cancer and has a double mastectomy does that make you less of a woman if you identify as female because you don't have breasts like is it the body part that makes you who you are or is it something else right you know for me it's always been something else but you know anytime people use those um those really ugly you know bathroom things as if trans people are predatory right. I, I mean i i want to scream yeah. um because at the end of the day trans folks are absolutely one of our most vulnerable populations yes. and to even you know for, for people to even perpetuate that misinformation you know increases that vulnerability you know thousand a thousand times so um you know e- even still like when you know old like aging teen heartthrobs like have ridiculous things to say on mm-hmm. ridiculous shows um <laughs> it just it, it's it, it just puts all of those people who really yeah. are so vulnerable it makes them yeah. even more vulnerable and yeah. that's um and that's a real shame but well, I'm, I'm happy to fight alongside all of the other allies to you know 
to make spaces more open and thoughtful and, and you know, definitions of gender and labels and terms are, are more expansive now than ever before, yeah. and they will continue to be. And I think that the one thing we really need to do is if we don't understand something, just to ask questions about mm-hmm. it. You know, tell me what that means to you. But we're so afraid of not, you know, we're so afraid of seeming like we don't have all the answers that um, we just don't do it. Right. And then I think, you know, people find it to be, a, you know, it wasn't accepted before. It doesn't mean it didn't exist before. It's always right, existed. Exactly. It was and, just that everyone was closeted and no yeah. one had the language for it. And, yeah, you know, and the, the same thing, way. And again, it's like, it's, it was like being, you know, if you're, if you're queer yeah. in the, you know, in the 80s or 90s growing up, at least for, for you know, mine and my peers' experience, that, that was, you know, that was a scary time, too. Yeah. So the, you know, the language changes, but, um, right, these, these issues aren't new. <laughs> they right. just are talked about it's, now. Yeah, and I think that when you look at the course of marriage equality and how long it took to get there and the battles that were fought, fought and people who were murdered— literally murdered. I mean, it's not to say that I'm happy anybody was murdered because it's awful that there are such angry people out there that they would hurt somebody that's different from them. But you look at this journey that, um, you know, with, with gay people getting to finally where, where they were just allowed to get married and now it's just a thing. It's just, that's just what we accept and nobody questions it and it's not an issue. I'm looking forward to the day that, you know, with trans folks and trans rights it's just another thing that nobody spends too much time worrying about and before we move on to another subject I just want to say that I'm really grateful in my experiences because I grew up in Los Angeles and my mom is very progressive and a single mom and when I was nine years old when we moved to California from Maryland um, we got a roommate and our roommate uh, was a gay man and I remember it was funny because my mom was interviewing him and I, I've written about this, but I was, we had this big walk-in closet in the living room. So I was in the walk-in closet and I was, I don't, I was a weird kid, but anyway, I was just <laughs> walking around and I was listening. I was eavesdropping on the conversation. And so the guy that she was talking to said, well, I hope this doesn't bother you, but I'm gay. And it was funny because and, and when he said that, I literally froze in a dramatic pose like, oh, I couldn't believe it. But, right, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it wasn't that I it's not even that I had a judgment about it. I just I just thought it was like, oh, my God, he's gay. And right. so well, that was a word that was whispered about. Right. right? And like you said yes. it under your breath. You did, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I had only heard about it. I think for, I think I asked my mother when I was very young, what does gay mean? And so she told me in no uncertain terms. She just said, it just means this. And, um, and then, so I remember, I'm, I'm sure, you know, people in my school talked about it in a negative way or something. So that's probably why I was so shocked. But my experience with him was extremely positive. You know, we lived with him and he was wonderful. And what's really interesting is he never brought uh, a date home. And I believe it's just because of me. I think that he was, um, thinking in terms of, well, you know, she's young. And so it's like when, when people argue that gay, it's, it's dangerous for kids to be around gay people. It's like, oh my God, this guy was the sweetest, most wonderful guy. Uh, I know. I mean, and, and I I have children of my own, they're uh, 10 and 14. And it's, you know, there, there's never been a time when they haven't been surrounded with all different diversity, whether it's gender diversity or sexual orientation or racial or ethnic or religious. And, um, it is so blissful the way they see the world and just like everyone is who they are. Yeah. And, you know, when someone says my pronouns are they, them, they're like, cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a non, it's, it's a non issue. And 
You know, I think that we just, we, we historically have a, a, a great misunderstanding of what sexuality is, mm-hmm. where it comes from, what it's made up of, um, and we just keep perpetuating that generationally. Yeah. So, you know, sexuality is not a switch that gets turned on at puberty or when you have your first sexual experience, right? That's, right. that's often how we define it, like as if someone else makes you sexual. <laughs> but sexuality is something we have from birth to death. And it's made up of a lot of different things. And, and those things evolve over time. So sure, our assigned sex at birth and our gender identity are a part of it, how we express our gender, our sexual orientation, who we're attracted to, our sexual feelings, our body image, and our confidence as it relates to our body, you know, and so on and so on. And, and eventually, that might include sexual behaviors or things we like to do. But the, at, at its core, sexuality is about who we are, not what we do. Um, And that's what trips so many people up because when we say that kids or teens have a sexuality, people are like, oh, my God, you're saying that it's okay to have sex. I'm like, okay, those are not the same words (laughs) at all. Um, But we we do ourselves and our young people a huge disservice when we don't acknowledge Mm -hmm. that, yes, they do have a sexuality. Mm -hmm. And the more information they get about that um, and the greater understanding, the more personal agency they have, the more – um, willing they are to use their voice um, and far less likely to be vulnerable because they, they get it and they mm-hmm. understand. Well, then this leads me to the question I do want to ask you, and it's, it's the two of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what would you say is the worst advice parents can give their teens or at least, you know, like a, a roundabout? And then what is the best way for <laughs> parents to handle it? Oh. Just in general, sex in general. I know. I, that's, I mean, whew, what a question. That's so <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, oh, they're, it's so difficult. Um, I, you know, for me, I wake up every day to de- to fight Mario Lopez. No, not really, <laughs> but that's just an added benefit today. Um, I wake up every day to deconstruct the sexual double standard, right? That mm-hmm. is literally why I wake up in the morning to create a world where, um, based on someone's gender, and we'll use like the big social construct of gender, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to sex and sexuality and relationships, two people can do the same thing under the same set of circumstances, but one will be called a whore or a slut and right. her you know, entire entity and being will be maligned in perpetuity and the other person will like get great social status. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up to rid the world of that. So... I would say the worst advice or or worst information parents could give young people is simply perpetuating those double standards. Mm. And and here's why. Um, Oftentimes we do it with the best of intentions, Mm -hmm. right? Because we want to protect our kids. So we say things in particular to girls like, protect yourself from boys. They only want to get into your pants. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, that's totally not helpful um, for a number of reasons. First being that, um, wow, girls have sexual feelings too, mm-hmm. but now they're not, they're not taught that, right? They're saying, you know, only boys are interested. Mm-hmm. And before they even encounter one another, they're taught not to trust one another, right? Yeah. Boys are innately predatory. They only want to get into your pants. And then when, if we meet someone and like them, we're like, oh, we can't trust you. Mm-hmm. You're incapable of having an emotional connection, and I'm not allowed to feel anything. And, of course, it assumes heterosexuality. Um, But it's just a a system that suggests that, and it's bad for everyone, right, that boys are incapable of emotional connection and we malign their sexuality or their gender or orientation or masculinity if they do have intimacy and emotional connection. We tell girls they can never have, you know, any feelings or pleasure or be concerned with that, which, which jeopardizes consent and voice. Um, and it's really awful. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I see it play out. I mean, I saw it play out as a young person, obviously, 
I see it play out. Um, you know, we, we still see see not even remnants of it in mass media. We we see old old stereotypes all of the time, and certainly online. And and it's the one thing that I've always made it really clear to my children that there are no double standards in our household. And that's how I mean, even though. I was raised with a sister, um, and we had no, like, young, you know, males or boys in the house. You know, there was never a double standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents always said, you know, what's good for boys is good for you, hmm. like, and, and vice versa, right? There's no – we would not have different rules for people based on sex or gender. And and it's not just that the, 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 the sexual health outcomes are so bad, um, but that's a big one, but it also really – creates a great tension with parents and children and teens, mm-hmm. right? And it's really hard to undo that um, when you see that being played out in a household. Yeah, that that's such a great explanation. I mean, I, I never even thought about it that way, but what you're saying makes absolute sense. And, you know, I mean, that leads me, I mean, my experience, as I said, when I was 13 years old, I always call myself a prude, but I say I was a prude because sex just freaked me out. I was fully aware when I was five years old, I asked my mom, you know, what's sex? So my mom gave me the most basic answer, of a, a heterosexual answer. And I remember I was so mortified, but I was curious. And I asked again, and she repeated it. She, she didn't, like, give me any more information than I asked. She figured if I were going to ask, you know, more questions, she would answer them. But she just, you know, figured, all right, well, she's asking this question. She's old enough to ask. She's heard something. So I'm just going to give her the basic answer. And then when she wants to know more, I'll give her more. And so when I was 13, she took me to dinner and said, all right, Kimberly, you know, you're, you're 13 and sex is going to be an issue now. You're in high school. There's going to be, it's just going to come up. And, and her basic advice to me was number one, she didn't want to be a grandmother while I was a teenager. And she just said, you are going to be the one who has to make this decision. I can't be with you 24 seven. I'm not going to tell you, you can't do it. What I am telling you is if you choose to do it, come to me first and I will take you to the doctor and we will get you birth control. And so all of a sudden, what that did was I was not a rebellious child to begin with, but I had nothing to rebel against. My mother basically just said, hey, it's in your hands. And and that put all yeah. this pressure on me that, oh, well, I know I can get pregnant, so I need to be careful. And so, of course, teens are going to have sex. I mean, not every teen, but basically, uh, you know, your hormones are firing, you're, you're discovering your body, it's exciting you know, especially like young, I I can speak for myself that when I was a teenage girl, I mean, I went from kind of being, you know, prudy, very like, I I didn't want anybody to see my body, you know, and then I kind of became like the swan and I recognized I was pretty and I recognized that my sexuality had power and it was invigorating and it was exciting. I wasn't ready to have sex at that point, but I recognized that there was a certain power to it and it was thrilling. And then, you know, and then basically when it came down to that decision, um, I decided when I was about 16 and a half that I was ready. And unfortunately, it was because it was with this guy that um, I, I wanted to solidify the relationship. And he was older than me just a few years. And I thought if I had sex with him that, um, OK, well, then he would like me more. And it was the wrong choice. It was the wrong reason to have sex. But the, the, the decision to have sex, I was mentally ready for it. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it wasn't mm-hmm. something that was traumatic or upsetting. I didn't have any regrets afterward. And I really say that that was because my mother left it up to me. 
And um, so as far as advice that you give children outside of what I just said, I mean, do you agree <laughs> that that's good or what other kinds of yeah, advice I mean, do you give? So, so I, I think there's, there's, I mean, there's so much, um, you know, I, the, the first thing we, we tend to forget in, um, our very puritanical American way is that the hallmark <laughs> of adolescence is sexuality, yeah. right? Is the unfolding and expression of and enjoyment of one's sexuality. I mean, that's literally at the core of adolescence. And that does not mean that everyone acts it out, right? In mm-hmm. like overtly sexual ways, but it's not a surprise that people do. And I think that so many of, I'll say us, but a, a lot, so many of us forget to like do this mental like flashback and mm-hmm. think about what it felt like to yeah. be 15, 16, 17, and all of a sudden realize you had these feelings and these desires and that your body responded in ways that you didn't always understand. But wow, right? How yeah. powerful that was to yeah. understand. And the way we frame that, that can eat as, as parents and caregivers, you know, this can be a completely empowering time when you say that, yes, your body is yours and you have the ability to make decisions about it. And there are things we do to, to take care of our bodies and our voice and our pleasure. Um, but when we don't give young people that information, that all it does is cause guilt and shame yeah. and lack of voice and lack of agency and lack of protection and birth control and, and all of those other things. So, um, you know, I think, you know, sticking your head in the sand and pretending your kids are never going to have experiences is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, defining sex as simply someone's penis being in someone's vagina, also not helpful. I mean, beyond the like ethical heterosexist considerations, mm-hmm. um, and also not talking about pleasure. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we fail so much because, we're so afraid that if we tell people, especially young people, that sex and sexuality are these wonderful, pleasurable parts of our lives and should be, they're all going to run out and do it. Well, I can tell you that I work with, like, in the last 20 years, like thousands and thousands of people. And I have never met anyone who heard, oh, my God, sex is supposed to feel good and ran out and did it like any version of it yeah. like that night. Right? That's not how it works. No. Um, but knowing that your body, regardless of what parts you have, have an innate capacity for pleasure, um, is an incredibly powerful thing Hmm. that the idea that masturbation is not just simply for people with penises that, um, you know, that the, the clitoris is actually the similar structure to the penis. It's not the vagina for, Mm -hmm. for people to understand that bodies have the capacity for pleasure and pleasure is supposed to be. Um, a part of, of sexuality and, and sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we forget, well, I don't think we forget to do that. I think that oftentimes we deliberately leave yes. that part out. Yes. And the problem is, you know, with, with young people in particular is that they're not dumb, right? They're <laughs> savvy enough to know, oh my God, all these things on TV and on the mm-hmm. internet and all the giggling and all the weird body language shifts when sex comes up, they ha- they know that there has to be something good about sex. Yeah, exactly. And pleasurable and fun. Otherwise, everyone's doing it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you lie to them deliberately or, you know, I'll use inadvertently in quotations, but you know, it's not mm-hmm. really an inadvertent omission. Um, you know, they'll pretend that they're listening to you moving forward, but they won't totally be listening because you, they know that you've left out like a key, a, a fundamental aspect yeah. of this experience. Um, and that's really unfortunate. Like yeah. pleasure isn't a bad word. Pleasure is a really important word. And it's not just physical pleasure. It's emotional pleasure. Too. Right. 
Right, exactly. And it's like, you know, I mean, one of the um, things I think is good, too, it's like what you were saying earlier is sex is good as long as there's consent involved. Because, And it's not just consent, because somebody can give consent when, consent when they feel pressured. And that's not the same thing as, like, genuine consent. And that's kind of like me. I mean, I felt pressured. And although I was mentally ready to have sex, it wasn't something that I regretted or, or I felt I had done too early. Um, my reasoning for doing it was basically, and it was just really a dumb reason. I was, um, I was dating this boy who was dating another girl, and I wanted him to choose me. And I thought if I had sex with him, um, because she was having sex with him, and really what wound up happening is he just start, started having sex with two girls. <laughs> you know, right. it was like, so he got two girls and, and I felt like, well, why isn't he choosing me? And, and it was, a it, I won't, okay, maybe stupid is a strong <laughs> word. I was naive and I just didn't understand right. well, how it all worked. Right. And, right, exactly. I mean, you were, you were young, you know, <laughs> options were limited, right? And, and sometimes that's what happens, right? This idea that we have to be competitive with other people for the yeah. affections of one particular right. person. Um, which is problematic, obviously, is. because relationships shouldn't be a competitive sport. Um, you know, and, and also just simply understanding like what it, what it means to be in. A, I'll, I'll use I'll use relationship with like a lowercase r and not a capital r, right? I mean, my my teen students are like, we don't have relationships. I'm like, listen, <laughs> any connection between two people, I don't care if it's for a night, a, yeah. an hour, or a lifetime, like that's a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Whatever. Um, you know, oftentimes we don't give young people the skills uh, about how to engage in healthy relationships, whatever that means, the qualities we look for, the not, you know, the non-negotiables. Um, I used to laugh. So I, I, I was on a, a show for the first three seasons called Married at First Sight. <laughs> And um, I was tasked with um, finding out, like, people's sexual values, what they were attracted to, sort of their, their, um, their cultural issues surrounding sex and sexuality. And it was interesting when you asked someone what they wanted in a partner, they would come up with laundry lists of physical qualities. Wow. Like, and I thought, wait, whoa, hold on. Yeah. Like, these are your non-negotiables? Like, Eye color is a non. I, I did not. Really I mean, weird. it never occurred to me that yeah. like that would be a non-negotiable. And it, it just it, it made me realize that we're so quick to to focus on what we see as physically attractive. And yes. sure, that that is a part of it. But we don't teach people the importance of thinking about what are the core qualities we need in someone else. Mm -hmm in order to feel safe and comfortable and vulnerable because yeah. relationships are, you are vulnerable, mm -hmm. you know, there is vulnerability to sex. That's not a bad thing. It yeah. just is. Um, but, but we don't give often young people the skills to think about what, what make, what would make you feel good? What kind of qualities would someone else need to have? Hmm, that's and then of course question. the flip side of that is, do you have those qualities? And if you don't, <laughs> you need to work on that. That's an absolutely great thing to say to your kids because it's something that if, you know, if that would, have been um, phrased that way to me, I definitely, I mean, I can't say that I would have made, you know, teens can be stubborn. We want what we want. Sure. But at the same time, um, you know, just as when my mother basically left that choice up to me, I think that was impactful. I think it would have been impactful to hear, um, you know, what, what is it that you are looking for outside of a physical appearance? What are you looking for? And funnily enough, the guy that I went out with was, um, I will say he was not the best looking guy in the world, but part of that was because he was at the time uh, identified as a death rocker, which is now they would call that goth. <laughs> and so his outfits were just 
ridiculous. I mean, he used to wear ridiculous outfits for shock value. But I mean, physically, I found him appealing. Other people did not. But I didn't care. It was just what I liked. But, you know, but I left out um, the what I wanted. And, and, And I think, though, with kids, it really has to be a careful conversation because kids may think they want something or they may twist, um, twist things in order to suit their own personal agenda if they want someone to like them. Um, and I guess, I guess if I'm not being clear, it's like, I can look back on, on him and I could have said to you, well, I want this, this, and this, and he is that way. So I'm just going to do it. Like I would have, I would have justified things in my mind. Um, but I, but I, but then maybe you would have also, you know, thought about, okay, and if it doesn't work out that way, how am I going to handle that? Yeah. Right? Because that's, that's part of the, the decision to be physically intimate with someone else. And, and that's what I'll, always what I encourage. I, I mean, I, I, I travel, you know, globally to talk about these issues, parenting as well as with young people. But I'll ask all my groups to think about, um, you know, what goes into the decision to share your body with anyone in any capacity, right? And it's not just like, are we protected? Is there consent and agency? Do we have facts? I mean, yes, all of those things are really important. Do we have access to information and services? But it's also, you know, how is this going to change the relationship moving forward, Mm -hmm. right? And that's an important question to ask because, you know, if it doesn't change, great. But if it changes, have you thought about that? And, and it, are they changes that we can handle? And mm-hmm. some people will say, yes, I can. And then some people will say, you know what? I'm not sure I can handle that. Hmm. I'm not sure. So um, but at least you've thought about it, right? Whatever yeah. decision you make, you've, you've, you've had thought, a, a yeah. holistic look at like all of the, the possibilities. Um, and, that, and that's the most important thing in, in decision-making, right? Like, are we, are we real with our feelings? Are we communicative with our, with, with partners about what it is that we really want? Cause I think we often don't do that. I mean, and, and sometimes this is gendered, but you know, we assume that like everyone with a penis simply wants, you know, no strings attached sex, which is certainly not true, obviously, but um, <laughs> we make that assumption. Yeah. So what happens is that, you know, what if someone said to you, look, uh, you know, uh, like I, I'd love to have sex with you, but, you know, I'm not interested in a relationship. Well, at least you could make an educated and informed decision and say, okay, I got it. Like, I understand. I'm not going to cross my fingers and pretend like you didn't have this conversation with me. Um, So I'm I'm always a a big proponent of if we're just honest about our needs, Mm then, then it's so much better. And by the way, if someone is really disrespectful about your needs or laughs it off, like when you say something, um, well, then they're basically telling you in no uncertain terms, like, please do not have sex of any kind with me. Yeah. That, Which is great. I, it's like, such a great way. It's a perfect way. litmus test. Yes. I know that your body is not going to be anywhere near mine, thanks. Right. And that's, I mean, I think it's, all of this is so... If, I mean, I almost wish I had a kid so I could apply it. <laughs> you know, it's like you give such great advice and you're so open. Oh, thanks. Um, I want to talk about a different subject now, um, yeah. and that's the female orgasm. Okay. And now, okay, so I've ta- my boyfriend has said time and time again that women should go on strike until men know how to properly do, uh, you know, give women an orgasm. Because the statistics say that it's like, you know, 75%, I think, I can't remember if it was like 2009, 75% of women are not having orgasms basically through regular intercourse. And right. I would imagine, From you know, I mean, vaginal I can... Vaginal intercourse, yeah. Yeah, vaginal. But in my experience, which, you know, as a single, I was single for many, many years. When I was 18, 
I had a boyfriend, we broke up and then I didn't have a committed, I wasn't involved in a committed relationship until I was 47. So there were a lot of years in between where I was just a single woman and I was dating and there were years where nothing happened. And then obviously there were years that I was dating people. And I will say that there was only, um, two, three men, three men that knew what they were doing. Um, but it wasn't every time. And the issue was that as a woman, I didn't feel comfortable bringing up the fact that I was having sex with them and they weren't giving me an orgasm. And what I, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I have a theory or I have an idea of, of what to say now. So I'm going to run it by you and then I want to hear what you have to say. So <laughs> okay. basically the way I look at it is if you're in a relationship, especially if you're in a relationship, I have a friend who was having sex. He was going down on her and it wasn't happening and she, no, and he noticed it and he got angry and left the room in a huff, which basically left her just. And what the what fuck is that? I know, and so it's like I think that if you're if you're in a relationship with someone and and a man and he hasn't given you an orgasm and then you've pretended to have orgasms and then all of a sudden one day you're like, okay, I was lying. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be helpful. My suggestion has always been. Um, Let's to say to your partner, like, hey, I have an idea. Let's try this and let's try some different things. And will you try this specifically? And, you know, what, whatever it is uh, that you think might help you achieve an orgasm, you relay that to your partner. And then if they're not doing it, you can say, could you move a little bit to your right? So that way you're not saying, hey, you've never done it before. And then making them feel insecure about themselves. Um, but you're, you're, you know, trying to figure out a new kind of way that's fun for both of you. Now, as far as the beginning, um, of a relationship where you've never had sex with anyone, I'm just going to let you go off with that one. But as far as, you know, the, what is your advice to women who are in relationships and not having orgasms? How do they, how do they deal with that? Okay. So I'm going to backtrack a little. So okay. here's a little anatomy, right? An anatomy lesson. <laughs> so, um, yes, the vagina has nerve endings for sure. Mm -hmm. And people can feel pleasure from, you know, any kind of like penetration inside of the vagina. Mm -hmm. However, <laughs> the, the real source of the majority of pleasure if someone has a vulva and vagina is the clitoris. Mm -hmm. So the clitoris is that sensitive concentrated nerve endings at the top of the vulva so outside where the labia meet but that's the only part that you can see is the glands is the head of it it actually has these two bulbs that extend down like a wishbone behind the vulva that are on the sides of the uh, of the vagina mm -hmm. um that structure comes from <laughs> The same, it's, it's a homologous structure, basically, to be super scientific, of when, when sex gets differentiated in utero, a certain tissue either becomes the penis or the clitoris. Hmm. Interesting. Ah, so, yes, you know, if you have a vulva and vagina, your body is built for pleasure, too. It's mm -hmm. just that we assume it's the vagina because that's the binary we use, penises yes. and vaginas. Um, but, no, it's actually penis or clitoris. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the part of the clitoris that can be directly stimulated is the glands, is the top of it, right? Which is why so many people don't have orgasms from vaginal intercourse alone because the clitoris isn't directly being stimulated. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, yes, on the sides, but not directly. That's often why people need extra stimulation. So I'm going to say this. 
Um, before we before we put all this onus on partners to give us pleasure, and mm-hmm. this is the part that like comes from years and years of shame and guilt yes. about bodies, um, we need to do it ourselves first. Right. Well, I already right, did. I knew how to do it. Masturbation is yes. super important. I already knew um, how to do it to myself. I just didn't know how to help make my partners understand yeah. how to help me. No, I, I totally get that. And and here's the thing. You, you have you and a lot of other people have that experience, but there are also a lot of people who have never even thought about exploring right. their bodies in that right. way. And if you haven't, then it is going to be near impossible to magically translate that information to yes. someone else. That's true. Right. We can't like mind read our ways through this. I, I, I love when people say, I've been with my partner for 20 years. I, I expect they're just going to get it. I'm like, has that ever worked for anything? <laughs> like, never. No one like magically figures it out. Yeah. I mean, and, and we can be clear, but it's, it's all in the delivery. Right. So right. to say, I would really love it if you did this or, you know, follow my hand or can we try this instead of like, you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. That's the <laughs> thing that I would avoid because then you're just making somebody feel bad. Right. And again, I, and, and I think it's important to have this lens that, that, that reminds us that if someone doesn't have the same parts as us, their understanding of what works sexually and with respect to pleasure is very different, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and also like really good sexual partners want to like genuinely authentically give you pleasure. If they don't, again, awesome witness test, (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye. But you know, most, most men and, you know, to be ethical people with penises that I've met throughout my life and I've worked with all say like, I really want to pleasure my partner. I just don't understand how she works and she won't tell me. Mm -hmm. So look, I mean, if you're in that situation, you need to tell your partners, you need to explain it, but you need to figure it out for yourself first. Yeah. Figuring it out for yourself first is key. And then I think too, it's just, um, you know, it's that it's that trust and communication with your partner. You just have to allow yourself. I mean, because if you're if you're every woman is different, every clitoris is different. So some people like, you know, harder activity, harder rubbing. Some people like it more gentle. So what one woman is going to like is going to be different than another one. And I think that's where it also comes in where you're communicating um, that feels good. I'm not a fan of that or ouch, that kind of hurts, but it's not, right. it's Absolutely. not a criticism of the other person. It's just a kind of a gauge. Hey, this is working and this isn't. And then, and then yeah, like, don't take it sure. personally. And, and over time that changes too, right? Yes. At every stage of our life, you know, and, and I'll just, I'll speak in terms of like, you know, having a uterus and ovaries and vulva and vagina, like, in every life stage, right, your your body changes too, and yeah. what turns you on is different, and yeah. how your body relates to certain types of touch, whether that has to do with, like, menopause or perimenopause, whether it's postpartum, whether it's during a pregnancy. I mean, all of those body changes change sensitivity, mm-hmm. how our body reacts to certain things. So um, just because you get it right once or figure it out once right, doesn't mean it's right. always going to be that way. And And the same thing for, you know – for those of, of those of us who have penises as well. I mean, we're, you know, we, we often have this lens that like everyone is so simple and basic in terms of like what they need and want, um, you know, and on some level, maybe, but you know, this assumption that bodies never change and that our needs never change, 
They do all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in menopause. And so I totally agree with you there. Things have changed. And so therefore, um, the way I do it changes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, you just find the way that works for you. It may be different than the last time, but I think the important thing here is just to stay open. I think that both people in the relationship have to stay open and understand that their partner is going to experience changes just like them and just be open to whatever your partner says. And it's always about communication. I think it's a good thing um, to talk about sex and talk about what you like. Aside from obviously understanding what you like on your own, you have to learn that first. But, um, you know, then then you can talk about it. And that's the thing. It's like people are just so weird about sex. It's that puritanical thing. Right. It's just And, it's and so we dangerous. don't often ask our partners, or maybe we do super early on and, and it comes up in some way, but we often don't realize that so much of our unwillingness to have these conversations is that we've never had that model, right? Mm-hmm. We've never been told yeah. it's okay to, to, to talk about these things. So, you know, if you said to a partner, you know, who taught you about sex? Like, what, what'd you learn? Right? You're going to get a sense of what their values are, at least yeah. what the values that were taught to them were. So if someone said to me, you know, well, I mean, I've already told you that my, my parents are super positive about sex and sexuality. But, you know, if I didn't have that experience and I said I was never taught to feel comfortable with my body and that sex was only in the confines or construct of this particular thing, then all of a sudden my partner's understanding why I might be hesitant talking mm-hmm. about this stuff. Yeah. Right? But but there's because there's so much backstory. Um and that backstory can can really can really mess things up. Yeah, well I mean like I think I was naturally modest. There was this part of me that, you know, like you were saying before, when you're a teenager, you're curious, you're having certain feelings, but you may not be ready yet to share your body. And it's just because you learn there's pleasure doesn't mean you're just gonna run out and go, you know, here here touch me. I was modest and I wasn't ready to let a strange not a stranger but just another human being so close to me even though I recognized I could I could have an orgasm and even though I knew sex was pleasurable and fun as you said you all you need to do is be aware watch movies watch television shows everyone's doing it everyone's loving doing it so clearly there's going to be pleasure there and it wasn't the pleasure that had me running out toward sex it was when I felt that I was ready And when I was ready to let another human being see me without clothes on, because I was shy. I was just, you know, and I don't know where that came from. My mother wasn't a shy person, but I was. You know, I think this is one of the challenges with with mass media. And it it certainly was the challenge of growing up, um, or or at least being a college student during, like, those gossip girl years and teaching during those gossip (sighs) girl years. But, you know, here you had this character who, I mean, by the way, violated consent. But aside from that? Um, you know, talked with so much bravado and machismo about his sexual prowess. Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, if that's the model, like teens are, yeah. teens are supposed to talk, teens are supposed to have that kind of comfort. I don't know any teen who is that self-assured no. about who they are, how they express themselves, their bodies, their desires, how their bodies work. Like that's just for some people, like that takes time. For some people, they never totally get there. Yeah. Um, so to have models that don't really represent how vulnerable and awkward and, you know, sometimes just, you know, really scary it can be to be vulnerable and intimate with someone, um, you know, that's such a, that does a, such a disservice because that's, that's a really, your experience, I mean, I was 
super similar. I mean, I had lots of like experiences leading up to like whatever I defined as was sex, but like part of it was that I wasn't really ready to share my body in that way. That's it. Exactly. Um, and, and that's great. And a lot yeah. of people have that experience, but I, but it's helpful also to know like what kind of partner would have made me feel mm-hmm. safe and protected and sexy or beautiful or whatever word that would have appealed to me at the time. Right. At yeah. the time. Um, but we don't do that. Or we should, we should do more of that. We should should do more of that. And then, you know, the other thing I want to kind of get into with you is consent. And I will just say that with, um, from what I've seen, like there are these, there's this duo named chicks on the right and I can't stand them. And I've been following them. I wonder why. Do they wear red hats? (laughs) Pretty much. Um, I've been following them since 2012. They can't stand me either. They've blocked me from all social media. But um, (laughs) uh, I argue with them and they don't like it. So what I've seen when they've ever talked about the idea of consent is they treat it like, oh, my God, you stupid liberals. Of course, I tell my sons not to rape. It's like, that's it. That's it. You say don't rape. And that's That's the the bar. Wow. Awesome. (laughs) And so um, I think that... I'm glad that, and again, I remember in 2012, this conversation was coming up because Todd Aiken, I think it was in 2012. Yes. Your body can just shut that whole thing down. Yeah. And they know. So, the body knows. You right. know, it's like morning, morning. Yeah. <laughs> and then Richard Murdoch, I think said something about, uh, I think if it, oh God, now I don't even remember what he said, but there was, there was one that said you needed to lean into it. One said that if you got pregnant from rape, that it was a gift from God. And right, these are yeah, all, you I know, know, there were a bunch of them. Yeah. One so dumbass thing after another. Right. Yeah. So the, the right was taking on this idea, like, of course we teach our kids not to rape. And so it's like, well, that's not really it. It's about teaching consent and consent is a much more complicated issue. And it's interesting. I just want to add that I had a conversation with a man who is a baby boomer and, and it was just in person and we were talking about sex and, and all of this stuff. And I said something like, um, so if, a, Oh, he, he brought up that if, if you're in the middle of sex, kind of like that, the man just gets to keep going. If, it, 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 even if the woman says no and I and I stopped him and I'm like wait 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 I said it doesn't like, matter <laughs> where you are if someone says no then you guys have to stop because then it becomes rape and as soon as I said that the light bulb went on and he got it he was like oh yeah and it was just you know he's a boomer and he was raised with certain ideas and told certain things and and it's not that he thought that women owed him sex per se it was just that he just expected that that's the way oh when you start well you got to stop i mean you got to go until you stop and uh and then like i said as soon as i said oh, that oh because death by blue balls is a thing <laughs> right. did you know that <laughs> And so, but I mean, I was grateful to learn that he was, as soon as I said it, he was like, wow, yeah, you're right. And, and so it's just the idea of consent is something like, how, how do you go about teaching consent to both genders, to, to boys and girls? So I would well, there's say, there's more than one gender, uh, well, but you know for, what I mean. <laughs> right, for all genders. Um, so to me, my, and I, I can speak from professional and personal experience that consent is a word that we've always used since the day my kids were born, right? So consent, permission, agreement, like has always been in their daily, um, like daily word 
I don't know, toolkit. And because I think that when the, the word consent becomes super scary, when we make it solely about sex, instead of recognizing that we've actually developed the skills and the scripts for consent far earlier. So, you know, every time we ask someone, may I use this? Mm-hmm. Or in a classroom, may I go to the bathroom or get a glass of water? Or, you know, may I borrow your Xbox or whatever it is? Like, we are using that language. And we're developing the skills to either hear the answer and be cool with it or hear an answer and be disappointed with it and have to live with that disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, everyone gets the right to make the decision that is best for them. So, you know, for us in our home, we, we do this a lot where, you know, I'll say, did you get, you know, your sister's permission to use her brush? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I asked her. She said yes whatever it is, you know, and if they didn't, I will say, well, you walk yourself back there and now, and ask, and they, and they, they always have. Um, so I think that a reminder that like, we have these skills, we just need to apply them in yeah. different ways. Um, but we, we, we don't always think like that. We're, we're so afraid because now we have all these new feelings and we want to act on them and we don't want to be weird. And, um, instead of recognizing we, we have this language, like it, it is in our mind all the time. We've done this. Um, but I would say that conversations about consent have to be done equitably across all, an entire gender spectrum, right? Everyone has the ability to want certain things. Um, everyone has the desire or, or the ability and the right to make decisions for their own body. And that, you know, the best thing is when both people want to do the same thing, but it doesn't feel good when people are not on the same page. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on the same page, uh, you know, that that's never anything worth doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, beyond all the, right. the, the legal things, why would you ever want to do something with someone who didn't want to be there doing it with you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's not fun for anyone. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the language that we use has really never been different based on sex or gender. Um, everyone has the right to make decisions for their own body. And it's okay to be disappointed by someone's answer, right? Mm-hmm. That's a real emotion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to live with disappointment. Yeah. But you can still live with disappointment and know that every person has the right to make, you know, to, to make decisions for their own you know, for their own body and for their own personal space. And, you know, I, I always want to remind people this isn't just about girls and women you know, saying no. I mean, this is this is part of that ugly double standard. Right, the yes. assumption that it's always yes, up to the one girl. particular yeah. gender who's like, no, back off. Mm-hmm. When there are plenty of boys and men who don't want to say yes to something, yeah. but find themselves in situations where they can't or don't know how to say no yes. because of all of these ridiculous expectations mm-hmm. we place on masculinity. Um and that's a shame, too. I mean, that makes it bad for everyone. But, you know, for, for me, this gets back to, you know, I spent, like, most of September in the um, Brett Kavanaugh black hole. Mm, um, yeah. And as a, as a parent of, of, you know, kids of two different sexes and, um, and as an educator in this space, there is nothing more disheartening than the boys will be boys right. bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote so much on this, and, and the one thing I always want to remind people is that the default setting for people based on whether or not they have a penis or not um, is not predator, right? right. That is not right. the default exactly. setting. Exactly. 
right? I mean, boys become the men that we allow them to be. So if you teach your kids, your boys in particular, that they don't have to take no for an answer, that they are masters of their own universe, that they go after things and conquer them at all costs, whether that's people or business or whatever, Mm -hmm. then that is exactly who they are going to be. But if you teach them about respect and equity and and make this like your daily, sort of a daily conversation like everything else, And you will acknowledge that they have feelings and Mm -hmm. sometimes boys cry and they like to express themselves in different ways and still be, you know, considered like manly. Um, Then you don't raise assholes. Yeah. Right. You don't raise men who violate boundaries and consent. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's super disheartening because you know having my own sex ed guinea pigs at home basically (laughs) I, I see this play out. My my son is the world's greatest ally and empathetic and thoughtful. And I mean, both, I mean, my daughter is as well. She's, you know, she's the, she doesn't need the, the public accolades, but, but Mm -hmm. loves, you know, making the world a better place behind the scenes. Um, But, but you can, you know, you can see what happens when you just do this and treat people with respect and give them, give them the tools to be good humans. That's what they do. Yeah. Well, they do, you know, I mean, and I remember asking my son and his friends and they're teenagers, like when all this stuff was going on, I said, do you like, I would read the things from the paper and say, do you think this is just what boys do? And they looked at me like I had six heads. They're like, (laughs) Oh my God, that's like, what? No, we don't do that. Like, no. Why would anyone say we do that? So I I don't, I, I want the world to be a better place for, for all of our young people, but to suggest that like people are innately predatory because of a body right. part is 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 well, yeah. I mean, not it seems to I me, yeah, that seems to me what the Republican argument is uh, is basically yeah. that that's men are ba- basically natural born rapists, and we all just have to accept it because boys will be boys, and it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And before we go on, I, I do want to reiterate, as uh, you know, I said I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up in a certain way. I don't. You do. I don't have all the language down. That doesn't mean I don't respect. Um, people and their choices and who they are and and it's I'm learning so I just hope no, I just hope that <laughs> I always and I, I always that worry that I'm offending people because I you know there was one show that I did once and I don't even remember what I said but when it came out of my mouth I knew that it was like no I should have phrased it differently and a trans friend of mine on Facebook was very upset and called me out on it and said you know it really made me cringe when you said that and I said I recognized when I said it and I didn't even know how and I again I don't even remember what it was. It was years ago, but it was like, my intentions are good. It's just that I don't necessarily have all the language yet. I'm just still right there trying to learn. So I just want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think that for all of us, you know, we, we all fall into patterns based on the, the history and yeah. we all work hard at, at, at fixing that and changing it. And, and what's most meaningful is when we don't, you know, know something or do something in a way that we think is, is the right way, whatever, you know, in quotations, yeah. um, is to say, you know what, like, I'm sorry, I messed up. And like, yeah. I don't have all of this down yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning and I'm willing to learn. So, but, but often I think that, and, you know, beyond you and I having this conversation, Kimberly, the problem is a lot of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> a right. lot of people are like, well, this is the way it was and this is the way exactly. I am. So I don't give a shit about your pronouns. Like that's, that's <laughs> right. really not, that's not how this works. Right. And no. the coolest thing about being a sexuality educator with young people is that kids are so amazingly flexible with their language and their ability. Like if someone says my pronouns are they, them, the kids are like, awesome, cool. Like, yeah. and they just do it. 
Right. And they're more than willing to correct their parents and adult caregivers in their life too and say, you know, that is not their pronoun. Yeah. Um, and that's great. And that's great. And there's a lot that we can learn from young people if we're willing to do it. Well, yeah. And then it's also just the idea, like, for instance, if I meet somebody and they say, hi, my name is Robert, then I start calling them Robert. And then they and then I'm told, you know what, please call me Bobby. It's so weird for me to call them Bobby. And it's not it's no it's you know, it's like the second nature thing. I, I'm used to calling them one thing. So getting used to the new thing is just that getting used to it. And I yeah. may slip and back. Saying, you know, if you, and if you call someone Robert, say, you know, Bobby, I'm really sorry. Right. I've, I've been so used to calling you this, but exactly. I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, I keep I'm gonna, saying, I'm going to work. Harder. I keep saying Kamala and it's Kamala. And I say Kamala <laughs> all the freaking time. And I, I don't even, it's like, I don't even remember how that started, but anyway. So, um, yeah, well going back to this consent thing, um, I saw that you responded to Alan Dershowitz, who <laughs> Alan Dershowitz represented Jeffrey Epstein, who is, has been indicted for sex trafficking. And uh, one of Epstein's victims stated in a court filing that Epstein lent her out for sex to one of them, Dershowitz. And so, of course, Dershowitz, Dershowitz <sighs> has denied these allegations. But on Twitter, um, he said, I stand by the constitutional and then in quotes, uh, uh, parentheses, not moral, argument I offered in my controversial op-ed. A 16-year-old has the constitutional right to have an abortion without state or parental interference. How could she not have the constitutional right to engage in consensual sex? So you tweet tweeted him and said, while this seems like an interesting, in quotes, comparison, let's get one thing straight. A 16-year-old should have the right to get an abortion and have consensual sex. The issue is the age, stature, power of the 16-year-old's partner. So uh, why don't you explain that a little further? <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, I've, al- I've already said sexuality is a, is a big part of growing up. And can a 16-year-old make a decision about consent? And about having sex of any type, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, done with information, access to services, you know, medically accurate sex ed is helpful. Even though only 13 states in our country require that, I'd just like you to hang hang, <laughs> hang out with that fact for a second. 13 mm-hmm. states only in this country mandate medically accurate sex ed. Wow, that's 13. bad. Bad. Yeah, 13. Um, so there's that. Uh, you know, the, the issue always becomes, and, and look, I find age of consent laws a little bit frustrating because oftentimes, depending on the state, sometimes they seem really arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Like a, a group of like old dudes just came together and was like, okay, we'll right. make it 16 here. We'll make it 17 here. Like yeah. that to me is really frustrating because that's not actually based on an understanding of sexuality and human development and <laughs> education in the state. That's just, yeah. let, let's like pick a number. So that's frustrating to me. But this issue that, that Dershowitz was bringing up is that, you know, yes, I am all for, you know, young people having access to medical services, for sure, including abortion, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm certainly for them making decisions for what is right for their body. Mm-hmm. The issue about age of consent laws isn't, is really about the age gap between partners, mm-hmm. right? Because the wider that age gap becomes, the, the greater the power differential yes. comes. And the, the question is, is that if a partner, if one person is 16 and the other person is 21, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of like life experience, mm-hmm. where they are in the world, earning power, mm-hmm. <laughs> high school, yeah. you know, who has more power and, you know, that power impacts 
someone's voice, whether they feel like they have the agency to speak up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes, should a 16-year-old have access to abortion services as well as consensual sex? 100%. But that doesn't really get to the issue, which is that, you know, someone who is considered an adult by society and certainly a grown man with a plane who's like shuttling you around the country for massages (sighs) has a hell of a lot more power. um, And that's not consensual, you know, because that is not an equitable relationship. Right. And I'll use relationship in quotation marks Right. Well, you know, I mean, I look at it, too, like uh, when you're an adult and I mean, I guess that's, you know, are you an adult at 18 while you may be recognized an adult? Are you? I mean, when I had sex, I was 16 and a half and my boyfriend was 18. We our birthdays were two two days apart. I think I was like, I'm the 17th and he's the 19th of July. So we were literally uh, like I think it was like a year and a half um, difference at that time. I can't remember. But either way, he was 18. And I was 16. Maybe it was two years. Um, but I didn't look at it like, I mean, I think it's it was, I guess, statutory rape. I'm the one who said that I wanted to have sex with him. So it was consent for sure. You know, do I, was I raped? No, I was not raped. But let's take that and put the guy at 25 years old. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it rape because I could have said to a 25 year old, I'm ready to have sex with you. And I really would have thought that I was ready. But I think when you're an adult, um, if, if I were in that situation and, you know, I was 25 years old and there was this young 16 year old guy who wanted to have sex with me and I thought he was really attractive, I wouldn't do it because I would feel that that's inappropriate. It would just be an inappropriate thing for me to do with him. And aside from being illegal, I would look at it like he's too young. He's too young to decide if he wants to have sex with an adult. And when you reverse that and you say you've got a teenage girl and then you've got an adult man, you're ta- what you're talking about, this power thing, it's so true. And I feel like there are instances where a teenager might be manipulated um, by the adult and, and they think they want to have sex because they've been manipulated. And I think it gets very, very, very sticky and confusing. And It does. It's, it's, ve- it's very confusing because, you know, some of us as young people and as teenagers are very self-assured and, and are very mm-hmm. clear about the yeah. decisions we make, but not everyone is, um, you know, and some of us have have the capacity to have really equitable, mm-hmm. meaningful relationships but not everyone can mm-hmm. um, or does. And also, like, this, the, your, your stage in life, right, someone who is in high school, <laughs> right, who's living under their parents' roof, mm-hmm. who is not, an ind- you know, considered an independent person, um, having a relationship with someone who makes money, has a job, lives on their own, like, th- those are very different worlds. Yeah. Um, and also, of course, there, there is parent involvement, too, which is what complicates, you know, issues of age of consent or statutory rape, which is, you know, if, if, if you are a parent, if you're the underage person, um, your parent has the right to, you know, yes. bring this up to, to, you know, for to legal authorities. Right. Right. So it's, even if it's something like you wanted and you were really clear yeah. about um, and, and the issue is, is that depending on where you are, um, a few, uh, more than a few years, there was one of these cases where there was an interracial couple and they were, you know, badly in love and they had done something sexual, but there was a, it was a state with 
highly racist undertones, and the, the kid went to jail until people protested. And if this had been, you know, a white person, mm -hmm. per se, um, the, the outcome would have been very different. So, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have universal laws about consent. We certainly don't have universal laws about sex ed or reproductive access. Um, and, and we can get there if we as a country and as government bodies decide to have real conversations, mm -hmm. not value-based conversations, but like ethical, medically accurate conversations about sexuality, sexual development, relationships, and consent. Um, but we're sure as hell not there yet. No, we're not. And I mean, we do have a ways to go, but thankfully there are people like you who, I mean, this conversation has very, been very enlightening to me. And I mean, it's not to say that I thought I knew it all, but, you know, on my journey, learning about all this and just my thought process, you've offered up all kinds of different, um, all kinds of different things that I never even thought of just about how to, how, how we um, can talk about consent in other areas outside of, of sex and, you know, how to talk to your children about sex in terms of what are your emotional needs. So, and what, what would you like from that other person? You have such great um, grasp of all of this. And I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm just really glad that we had this conversation because it's been, like I said, it's just been enlightening. And, um, <laughs> well, well, thank you so much. I mean, I, I, I'm constantly learning too. I mean, I learn from my students and their experiences as well. You know, I, I'm, I'm the first to admit I'm an analog chick living in a digital world, right? <laughs> like I still want someone, my husband in particular, to like make me a mixtape. Right. <laughs> like that's the that's the paradigm of love yeah. for me. Um, you know, but I but I get it. Their world is very different and they're teaching me still with the use of technology and social media. And I, you know, I try to sort of apply certain values and, you know, like equitable values and consent and sex ed to, to those tools. But, um, you know, learning goes up and down the generational yeah. ladder. So I think as long as we're open to to change and evolving thought, then we'll be in a, we'll be in a good place. That's all. It's a, it's all about open to change and an evolving thought. Um, so on that note, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? <laughs> you can find me at loganlevkoff.com. That's L O G A N L E V as in Victor K O double F as in Frank. And that is also, um, all of my social media handles as well. Perfect. Well, I'm going to be putting all of that into the text of a Patreon um, description of the show. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a You're fabulous so conversation. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I hope to talk to you again someday. And um, you take care and I will talk to you. I will talk to you again. Awesome. Wow, that was really a great conversation. I'm so glad that she was on. And, you know, today we did not talk anything about the debates last night, which all I'll say is I was impressed with Elizabeth Warren. I thought Bernie did a good job, too, even though he's not my candidate right now. I will vote blue no matter who, just so you know. Um, but I thought the debate was interesting. I wish, though, that we would have heard more about LGBT, about women's issues, about reproductive rights, about Mueller, about the fact that Russia is attacking us. I wonder if those things are going to come up tonight. So, um, you know, we're going to watch we're going to watch again the second round of the Democratic debates. And um, it should be interesting. We'll see what happens. And then I guess that's just going to be it. So you can always find me on social media, on Twitter, at authorkimberly.com. 
Oh no, I'm sorry. At author Kimberly. <laughs> also, you can you can follow Steph, who will be back next week at the Lady Brain Show or at Lady Brain Show. I'm I'm out of it. Um, and you know, hey, as nor as we always say, we love feedback. We want to know what you're thinking. So um, whether you agree with us or whether you disagree with us, we want to hear from you. Comment on Patreon. We're building a community and. Um, once again, that's at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E at the end. And at Lady Brain Show. And we will see you next week. Steph will be back and I'm sure we'll have lots to say. So bye for now. Bye.